0: Well, welcome to worship Um, I am so incredibly happy to be coming to you live and in color Not only from the town of Musaman where we are now physically present, but from the church building Um, I think it's important to remember that In the midst of everything going on The church is not defined by this building. Uh, It is defined by where believers congregate where believers uh, Witness where believers pray and that is wherever we are But I thought it was important to record today's sermon uh, from our sanctuary if only so that we could have a uh, Familiar sight in the midst of so many changes one of which is the fact that I'm the one delivering the message Um, As most of you will no doubt know my family and I have been in Musman now for about two weeks and I have officially begun as, uh, as your new pastor and I, I couldn't be more thrilled. We're all incredibly happy to be here. There's a lot going on in the world. Um, we all know it, we've all talked about it. There's a lot of change happening. Certainly my family feels it. I know all of you do too. And so I thought it was important this morning to spend some time addressing change. Now the format that we're going to be talking today is one i'm not terribly familiar with and i am looking out over a great big room with nobody in it Um, so you'll forgive me if sometimes i forget to look up to the camera and if it seems like i'm addressing nobody in the pews it's because i am and it's an occupational hazard so i'll ask you for a little bit of grace on that i'll do my best to try and make sure i'm I'm looking up directly at you as much as possible. But I want to address the elephant in the room, which is this change that we're all dealing with. I think it's important when a new pastor starts to remember that this can be uh, terribly traumatic for people. This can be scary and apprehensive for people. Some people love change and others can't stand it, but of course change is inevitable. The very fact that I am standing here preaching this sermon is proof of that. Like it or not, life moves along whether we're ready or not. And of course our church is going through some major change. And with everything that's going on in your world, you all just got a new pastor such as he is. You know, Jesus spent the majority of his three-year ministry talking about change change of various kinds, change that, would, that he would bring, change that would happen after he ascended to heaven, and change that would one day happen when all things are reconciled to the Father. And one of the places that Jesus addresses this topic is in Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles at home, I'll ask you to get them out, or turn on your phone or whatever you use, to Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 61, and I'll be reading from the NIV. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family and Jesus replied no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God life is a very funny thing we can spend time arguing about predestination versus free will but regardless of where we come down on that, we have a tendency to look back at the past and wonder how things might have been different if it were not for one seemingly insignificant detail. We all do this. We do it with ourselves, we do it with politics and history, and we even do it with God and the church. Kate and I every now and again talk about how different life would have been if I'd have chosen this job or that job or she'd have taken this position or that one. How different it would have been if we moved here instead of there. And of course, it's all a game of hypotheticals, but it can be, at times, great fun, and at other times, very stressful. My all-time favorite TV show, one that I've watched many, many times, is called The West Wing. Uh, Aaron Sorkin created an enduring masterpiece uh, that I just can't get enough of. It's very optimistic. It's a fictional account of a presidency in the U.S. and the President's administration. And on the show, they have a phrase that I love, a catchphrase that they repeat over and over. Whenever they solve a problem or work through something, they look at one another and they say, okay, okay, what's next? And I love that. I just just love it. I love it because of its optimism. All right, that's one item crossed off, what's next? I like it because the work is never done, improving people's lives for a presidential administration is never done. Likewise, the church has never done helping bring God's kingdom here on earth. So when we do something and we look around and say, yes, this is what God has commanded us and we fulfilled this, then we can look at each other and say, okay, what's next? The other thing I love though are stories about what could have been. So I want to play a little bit of a game of historical hypotheticals with you. Most of you are probably not familiar with the name Claudette Colvin. Claudette might have gone down in a very prominent place in history if it weren't for one seemingly minor detail. You see, on March 2nd, 1955 Claudette sparked controversy in Birmingham, Alabama by refusing to give up her seat to a white person on a bus. The NAACP had been waiting for just such a moment to launch their new cause, and so they descended on Birmingham ready for a fight. But when they arrived, they discovered that Claudette was a mouthy 15-year-old who was pregnant by a married man. The leaders of the NAACP decided that this was not the face that they wanted to put on their movement. And so they swept the whole thing under the rug. Nine months later, a woman you probably have heard of, named Rosa Parks, was arrested for the exact same thing, refusing to give up her seat to a white person on a bus. And this time, the NAACP descended and decided that this was the person who would be the catalyst for their movement. But what's interesting about this is that it was only during that nine-month period between Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks that a young, charismatic African-American preacher rose to prominence and ended up taking leadership of the civil rights movement. It was during the nine months between Claudette and Rosa Parks that the NAACP decided to give their leadership to Dr. Martin Luther King. If Claudette Colvin was a mild-mannered teenager instead of a pregnant, mouthy 15-year-old, Martin Luther King Jr. is just another Baptist preacher that you and I have never heard of. A small decision that had enormous effects. At NASA in the 1980s, the first priority was to test every single piece of space equipment for every possible eventuality. Even things as insignificant as buttons were uh, tested for weeks to determine if they could break them or melt them. A group of engineers was assigned to each piece of equipment and that team's sole job was to try and break that piece of equipment. Uh, Just as a side note, uh, they could have saved millions of dollars by giving it to a toddler. I I have one, and she'll find a way to break anything. I digress, though. O-rings are basically giant washers, like the ones you find in your kitchen tap. They're a giant washer that sits between something carrying fuel and something meant to burn fuel. The engineering team at NASA that was responsible for the O-rings tested them under every possible circumstance they could think of. Obviously, the most pressing concern was heat, because the space shuttle is going to be on fire all the way up to space, and by then, the O-rings are falling off with the rocket booster anyway, so heat's the big deal. But they test them for everything. They tried to crush them, compress them, break them, And they also made them be able to withstand temperatures double what they would experience on the way to space, just to be safe. The one thing no one thought to test for, though, was cold. After all, when would it ever be cold? It was taking off in Cape Canaveral, Florida, and again, fire makes things pretty hot. So when would it ever be cold? On the night of January 27th, 1986, when a still record cold snap dropped the temperature in southern Florida to minus 5 degrees Celsius. It turns out that O-rings fail at minus 3 degrees Celsius. Cold caused microscopic fractures in the O-rings. The next morning, the space shuttle Columbia burst into flames 73 seconds after takeoff, killing everyone on board. One small detail, enormous consequences. One more short one, and then I'll get to, back to the meat of what we're talking about. Have you ever heard of Giuseppe Zangara? I certainly hadn't. Giuseppe Zangara went to prison for shooting and killing the mayor of Chicago on February 15, 1933. Why? Because Zangara was standing on a wobbly chair. The mayor of Chicago wasn't the target. He was trying to shoot the man that the mayor was shaking hands with, the newly elected U.S. president, Franklin Roosevelt. If Zangara's chair wasn't wobbly, Roosevelt never takes office, and instead his running mate is sworn in, a man by the name of John Nance Garner, a man who was elected primarily because of his opposition to a package of legislation which would become known as the New Deal. If Zangara had picked a more stable chair, Nance Garner becomes president of the United States, and they don't make it through the Great Depression. Now, you could argue about whether the civil rights movement would have simply had a different voice than Dr. King, and a little research will show that literally millions of things can go wrong on the space shuttle. And perhaps, even probably, the New Deal would have been passed by some other means. But if time is a path, then these are the places where these stories had their paths diverge. And our scripture this morning from Luke tells a similar story. Jesus makes a demand of three men who are faced with a choice. Each is faced with a critical decision, whether to follow immediately or take care of something that has been preoccupying them first. And we actually aren't told in scripture what any of them decide. But you can absolutely bet that they would have looked back on that moment regardless of which way they went and Wondered what might have been different if they had taken the other path I think it's safe to say that in the life of Muslim and Baptist Church There are many moments that we look back on and wonder how things might have been different if it weren't for one thing how might things have been different if we'd hired this pastor or that pastor or if we'd started this program or that program. Or what about the men and women who were never selected for ministry here? That, who, whose names are, are not known to us? What if different decisions had been made through the various financial hardships uh, during the times of crunch in the economy in the 20s and the 80s? What might life look like different here today? But as interesting as it is to think about, there's a big difference between dwelling on something and reflecting on something. To dwell on a moment implies that a person is stuck there. Dwelling on a moment means that we can't move on. Historical hypotheticals like the one I just did are, are fun, in my opinion, but they're merely an intellectual exercise. When we do more than pause, we become stuck. Reflection, on the other hand, is, it's not only different than dwelling, it's actually a healthy practice. It's something we're commanded to do in Scripture. Particularly when reflecting on moments that changed a person's path, there's lessons to be learned. But reflection requires time. It requires meditation. It requires patience. And we all know that if there's something we don't have enough of right now or in this world, it's time. The last century has been called the 100-year madness. It started with horses and dowers, and it ends with Maseratis and microseconds, with cars speeding across highways, airplanes streaking across skies, microprocessors burning across desktops. The century's mad dash of innovation has produced all of these wonderful things, and it has produced the most frantic era in human history. We phone, we fax, we page, we text, we email. We race from one end of life to the other, rarely glancing over our shoulders. Technology, mass media, and a desire to do more, do it better, and do it yesterday, have turned us into a world that is always in a hurry. It's no longer stop and smell the roses, it's wake up and smell the coffee. What an exhilarating and exhausting world we have created. A world of seven day diets and 24 hour news channels and one hour photo processing and 30 minute pizza delivery, 10 minute facials and two minute warnings and minute rice. Fast food, fast computers, fast cars and fast lanes. Nestle quick and quick mart and quick cut commercials. A superhero faster than a speeding bullet and a bullet train faster than a speeding car. DVD players with five fast-forward settings, sound bites in the rat race and instant coffee, and microwave popcorn. Get rich quick, get fast-tracked, get your 15 minutes of fame, live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. Run on empty, just do it. The sad part is that people do recognize this kind of hurry in their lives. And they want to do something about it, but they just don't have time. And so of course it's only natural for us sometimes to want to look back if we find the time and dwell there. To wonder what might things have been like if we had taken that different path. But as we look back, we have to be sure that we're reflecting on things and learning rather than dwelling on what might have been. If it seems like I'm being contradictory here, you're probably saying to yourself, wait a minute, you just said that we need to take time and look back, but previous to that you said, don't get stuck in the past. And therein lies the rub, my friends. It's all about balance and finding that balance. Because our tendency is to either not look back at all, or it's to look back And focus on the other path the one we chose not to take we wonder what might lie down that way and our eyes look back even as our feet keep moving forward in a different direction but here's the thing if we keep moving forward the road behind slowly fades from view and so instead I would suggest that we need to look up and move forward In this world, taking time to meditate on anything is difficult, much less time to meditate on God's Word. And as a church, we just came to an intersection once again. You were faced with deciding and discerning who the right person was to lead you into the next chapter of your story. You trusted the process for a long time, and in God's time, you somehow were led to me. Just as an aside, I have no doubt that this was all ordained by God. If only because there is absolutely no way that all of this should have worked out for my family and I to make it here in the midst of a global pandemic. And yet somehow everything slowly, one piece at a time, fell into place. And now I stand before you in Musman, physically present, to be your pastor. And I am humbled by both your faith in me and by God's direction and will to make it happen. But still, this church is coming through a time where, having been on the other side of this many times, I know the apprehension that comes with a new pastor. Which way will he push things? What initiatives will he want? How how uncomfortable his preaching and his leadership make me and those around me? And and all of that is very normal and understandable. I I probably shouldn't refer to myself in the third person quite so much. I, I promise I won't do that very often. But of course, it's only natural for all of us right now, in the midst of everything going on, to be looking behind us and wondering what might lie back down that other way we could have gone. And that's okay. But as we look back, we need to remember to be reflecting on things and learning from them rather than dwelling on them. In churches such as ours, one of the most common things that we get stuck in is remembering the good old days. We have a tendency to look back though and be selective in our remembering. In many ways, that can actually be a positive thing. It means we've turned the page on conflict and and past hurts. But in other ways, we have to remember that our view of that past is distorted. Sometimes we need reminding that the good old days actually weren't really all that good. Just because things could have been different doesn't mean that they would be better. In fact, in the book of Numbers, the Israelites are guilty of exactly this. They're making their way through the desert to the promised land, and they're lost, and they're hungry, and they're cranky, and they're tired, and they start to openly complain. And at one point, they actually say, we were better off as slaves in Egypt. Talk about rose-colored glasses. You know, they say a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and that is absolutely true, but it's important to remember that a single step is not the goal. And so I want to invite you to come with me this morning. Let's take a walk. Come with me and let's make our way on the path that brought us to where we are today. Let's walk and reflect and learn. Let us make our way from that first step that was taken by this church so many years ago, over a century ago when we were founded. Let's journey past the world wars and the Great Depression, past the times that this church was a tri-charged church for a pastor who shared it with Kipling and Verdon. Through the good old days of the 60s and 70s, through the revolution, the worship revolution of the 80s and the 90s, And past the turn of the millennium where this town grew at an unprecedented rate. And then let us come to the crossroads we we find ourselves at now. And let us pause. We can only spare a moment. But let us stop and reflect. In some ways, we've already decided the path we'll take. And in other ways, we have many decisions left ahead of us. And that will always be the case. But for now... The most pressing decision we had has been made. We know which way we're going down. And our tendency is to look at the other path, the one we chose not to take. we wonder what might be down that way. And that's okay. But if we keep moving forward, the the road not taken slowly disappears from view. And so we look up. And we step forward. But before we move forward, reflection is good. And so I invite you to take one step back with me. Knowing full well the decision's been made about which way we'll go, stand at the crossroads and hear the words of the prophet Jeremiah, who said, This says the Lord stand at the crossroads and look and ask for ancient paths where the good way lies, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. It all comes together, doesn't it? Moving forward, finding rest in a hurried world, and stepping forward in faith. And after we hear these encouraging words from Jeremiah, we turn back to Jesus in Luke. Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God is advancing. It is in front of us, not behind us. And so it can be fun to look back and wonder, but our gaze should be on the road ahead. God has led us to this road. And now it is time has come for us to raise our heads and look as far down as He has willing to reveal to us and move in faith. And then slowly, faithfully, step by tiny step, start our journey of faith. Not a frantic sprint but rather the deliberate pace of a marathon that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter three, when he says, forgetting what lies behind, I strain to what lies ahead. Second Corinthians says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's the thing about roads. There always seems to be another intersection. And so what is that next thing? You searched and searched, and you were led to call me as your pastor. Kate and I prayed and discerned and discussed. And we felt God clearly leading us here. And so now we come. And before we take that first step, let's rest. Breathe in. That's good. We won't get stuck here. Ministry will still happen but let's rest in God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to us individually and collectively. God has been good. This church is proof of that. So take some time this week to rest and reflect on how God has brought you and us to where we are. And then, to make sure that we're not dwelling We have to move on. Peter Marshall put it this way, never let the past be so dear as to limit the future, because no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Reflection is good. There are lessons we can learn from the past and I am looking forward to getting to know the history of you all and this church. But the future is at hand. God is calling us onward. So let's take the next week to look around and remember and reflect. And then next Sunday, as we stand at the place where the paths meet, knowing which one we're going to take, let us look at one another and say, Okay, what's next? Until then, may you fix your eyes upon the one who makes the path known in his good time. May you rest in the knowledge of God's faithfulness to you and may you know that wherever the path may lead, the Savior of all humankind will be waiting to invite you home. God bless you all.